It's time for our tip of the day, and this one comes from my good friend Liron Segev, who is a YouTube growth strategist at LironSegev.com. Now, did you know that YouTube reveals some golden topic ideas that your audience will love? And this tip works for channels of any size. In YouTube Studio, click on Analytics, and under the graph, YouTube lists the top 10 videos that are getting the most views. Here's what you do. First, two things. Change the date range to 28 days. You now want to look for videos that are old. could be from months ago or videos from years ago. But if those older videos are still bringing you channel views, are still in that top 10 videos, you got this golden opportunity right here. You can update those topics. So now go change the date range from the past 28 days to 90 days. Now you can look at the list again and see if there are any videos there you think you can update with a new video. If you look at that 90-day cycle, that's really an indication of content that has sustainability on your channel. Now, don't forget, when you create a new updated version, which is what you are going to do, go to your old video, add an end screen and cards, and pin a comment to let your audience know there's a new version, and you can drive even more traffic to that. Love that tip, Liron. Thank you very much. Welcome to Inside the Creator Economy on Fireside. I'm Jim Latterback. It's great to have you here. And I'm Cassie Roma. It is nice to be with you again today, Jim. It's the best part of my week. Yeah, me too. It's awesome. I, you know, Mondays here in the U.S. are always tough. I was on a 5 a.m. meeting Monday with Abu Dhabi this morning. We did a, a VidCon Abu Dhabi chat about our industry track. I know you've helped with the industry track in other parts of the world, but it was uh, definitely an early morning. So it's always fun to sit down at the end of the day and do this with me and also to know it's Tuesday morning where you are. It is. And it's a nice Tuesday morning. I was on a 5 a.m. as well. So who knows what's going to come out of our mouths today? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. We're all working on not as much sleep as we probably ought to, which, you know, typically means it's going to be better. But with that, let's hop right into it. First story of today, over the coming years, there will be some big increases in bandwidth. We're going to see reduced latency. 3D graphics will be supercharged and they're going to see new displays. All of this is combining to create telepresence. It might be through 5G, it might be through new NVIDIA stuff, but it's going to take what seems like science fiction right now into reality. I really think this is going to create these presence rooms in our house. You know, the media room is done and the presence room is going to come in. And we can actually share experiences if we were together with widely dispersed friend groups. Now, no surprise, Google is at the forefront of this. And at their I.O. conference, which happened last week, they showed a fascinating video of this cutting edge telepresence stuff. It's called Project Starline. Look it up. If you watch it, well, the thing that first came to me is it kind of looks like visiting hours at the Alcatraz prison, but it'll get better. And the thing is, we've been wanting this for so long and it's actually happening. We're going to need it for the next pandemic. We're going to need it for meet and greets as well. This is sort of the next version of Cameo. I cannot wait to do this. And if we do do this, Cassie, you and I could almost be in the same room, even though we're half a world away and do this as if we were in the same place. Did you take a look at the video? What'd you think? I thought the video was awesome. The first thing it reminded me of was the Tupac videos that started, you know, those holograms that people started a few years ago. And then in my brain, very quickly, I fast forwarded through the tears because it was quite an emotive little video, especially for someone who hasn't hugged her family in two years. You really got me, Jim. (laughs) Oh, I didn't mean Um, to get you with that. (laughs) There was a full ugly boo-hoo, let me tell you. 
And it was it was an interesting thing because I did a conference. So Auckland has been pretty good here in New Zealand with COVID, as you know. So we had a six week lockdown last year and then we had like a six week reprieve. And then we had a short two week lockdown. And in that little six week reprieve, we did a conference with Australia with very similar tech to this. But it was a giant, a giant glass screen. And we brought speakers in from Sydney and it felt like they were really in the room. It didn't feel like some kind of new wonky tech. So the fact that you shared this through and that uh, you just hit me at the right time this morning, it was like, I can't wait for this to happen because you're still not breathing the same air. We're still not sharing that like energetic exchange, but it feels real. You can see the fall of somebody's, you know, their sweatshirt. You can see the curls in their hair, all of those things, just those beautiful, tiny little nuances that we miss. I love this. Yeah, and you're experiencing it in 3D, not in that sort of 2D world that you get with Zoom. So I think there's a lot of potential there. And hopefully we won't have another pandemic, so we won't have to go through what we went through. But the fact that you can teleport somebody there, that they feel like they're really there. Now, I can't pass you a glass of wine or some cheese that I might be munching on. But everything else, sort of, you, you really suspend your disbelief with this technology. And there's only three of them in existence right now, according to Google. But there will be more. And... Yeah. Sign me up. I want to go test it. Yeah. I love the idea of like you were talking about with meet and greets and doing things, you know, opening up more communities and the ability for creators to have a much more authentic and intimate in engagement with their fans, especially, you know, we talked about hyper fans last week and the kind of bridge to super fandom. I love the idea of this. I did the weirdest thing that an almost 40 year old could do over the pandemic. I did a meet and greet with a singer that I really like, and it was on Zoom and it was so it was the weirdest experience because it just, you know, the connectivity wasn't right. The way that things were set up was when she was talking, I could see her. But then when I was talking, I could see me. It was weird. So Anything seamless like this that feels real, I think is going to open up the creator economy even more so in the future. I agree. Did you ever read Isaac Asimov's book about robots, the Robots of Dawn specifically? Yes. So Robots of Dawn features like 30 super powerful people all connecting, never even seeing each other, but connecting sort of in this way, kind of flashing in a little Isaac Asimov right there. Oh, (laughs) love it. All right. We're going to move on to the next story. All right. Well, this one kind of goes hand in hand with what you just shared, Jim. You'd think we were pre-planning these conversations. This one is, you know, after seven years at Google, Jaquel, I can't say her last name, Amanacona, I'm going to say, Horton, uh, knew there was some white space in between social, uh, social between fans and creators. So she built this app called Fave to fill the gap. And today the company, today being yesterday, announced that they had a $2.2 million seed round, which is pretty, pretty cool. Fave, which I love, is all about that relationship between fans and creators, right? And as she described it, creators and artists have so many different ways that they can reach out to their fans and share their lives. But for the super fans, there isn't really that way to truly express their adoration behind that kind of flat experience. So Fave is quite cool. We talked about it last week, Jim, didn't we? We talked about like in a pyramid style fandoms. But Fave is kind of broken down like that, Um, starting with like the Swifties and the Taylor Swifts and then allowing fans to connect with each other and then creating content and then like the fans creating fan type merch, which is so good, bringing themselves into these conversations. My daughter, I know we talk about her love of Jake Gyllenhaal a lot, but Chelsea, my daughter creates so much Jake Gyllenhaal fan content that her friends online want her to be a part of that Fave 
it struck me when I saw this because I was like, wow, kids are already doing this, but now there's a way that we can kind of bridge that gap and monetize it. I just really, really love it. It says creators and fave alike can generate revenue through advertising, through transaction fees or goods sold on a marketplace that will exist within fave and fave will take a 10% cut, which is better than the old 30% Apple cut. So I really like this. I do too. And the reason that it struck me is it is both, and we talk a lot about the creator economy and creators, and this is the first thing I've seen that is really the super fan economy, which I hadn't even thought about, but you're right. Whether it's your daughter or the fact that I'm like a rabid deadhead and fish fan or other super fans there, they are an integral part of the creator economy experience. We've talked a lot about cryptocurrency and allowing people to invest in a creator and super fans to buy a piece of it. But this actually lets the super fans who are so valuable, I've now said that twice, so it must be true, and lets them be part of the economy as well and do their own little making money and getting value out of the promotional stuff that they do and their love for these creators. Yeah, I love that because that takes community and it just supercharges it, right? So it's not just this creator at the top of the pyramid that sits and has to kind of be the orchestrating the symphony, right? It's all of the fans who are already talking with each other. And the super fans, let me tell you, they know each other. You can see super fans of any community and they, they know each other. So the fact that they can then feel like they are in control of this community as well, I just love it. And I, I would totally wear a deadhead shirt with your face on it, Jim. That's so funny. I wouldn't put one with my face on it, but uh, I might do one with my dog's face on it. My dog's sitting over here. I think Grateful Dog is a thing that actually is, exists in the canon of super fandom in the Grateful Dead world. So I could definitely riff on that. You know what? I see a problem here, though, and maybe you've got a mm-hmm. way around it, but I'm a creator. I love my super fans. But if they start making money off of my fandom, and I'm accentuating the my Don't you see that some creators would have a problem with that because they would see the super fans siphoning away the revenue from my fan base and taking it for themselves? I think that might be a problem. Some creators may see it that way. They might. You know, the ones who are maybe just a little on the egotistical side, Jim, because I'm a firm believer in things like love and power and money. We can make more and more and you get more by giving it away. And Just think about the potential. If you have these super fans as a creator who are able to monetize not only their love for you, but then start to activate out in secondary and tertiary connections that you wouldn't be able to if you were the only conductor at the top, you can be a smarter creator than that and go, okay, I see what these ones are up to. I'm going to really show them extra love so that then they can share their extra love with their community and it would grow. I think if they're a bit myopic in their view, they could see it that way. But I feel like there's a bigger, wider potential out there by empowering the fans around the community. Yeah, there's a line somewhere that you draw. And I want to draw the line and go way over to the other side. We don't have this as a story necessarily we're going to talk about today. But there is a creator on TikTok who is doing something that I don't know if they're a fan or not, but it's awful. They're basically taking some of their favorite videos and recreating them frame by frame with themselves in the video, doing it rather than the creator doing the video. And it turns out some of these videos have gotten more views than the original. Now, I don't think this person actually is a super fan. I think they're actually a leech. But you could see, for example, a creator doing an amazing video and then somebody, a super fan, copying it with themselves doing it Mm. and ending up making more off the video than the creator did. 
Now, this isn't duets. This is something different. But there's a lot. I just don't know where the line is. And I don't know. Actually, I think it might be different for everybody. I think you're right. There has to be that line because, yeah, that example you just talked about made me a little hot under the collar because that's basically just stealing IP. That's stealing creative IP, it sounds like to me. So, And you're right. What is the line? How do we draw it? And it probably is different for every community and every creator because you probably have some creators who are like, I'm kind of okay with that because, and you'll have other ones that go, no, that is way over the line. That's fascinating. Yeah. If you want to take a look at who actually is doing this, I'm going to pull it up just so that I have the link here. But it's this YouTuber actually unmasked this and it was amazing. The YouTuber is Danny Gonzalez, G-O-N-Z-A-L-E-Z. And the title of the video on YouTube is The King Copycat of TikTok. And you want to be chilled? Take a look at this video. I'm going down a rat hole here. I'm going to stop right now. Oh, (laughs) that sounds like a documentary we need to make, Jim. Like, I actually feel like I could watch a whole two-hour movie on this just (laughs) to unpack it. I think this guy already made it, and it's about 15 or 20 minutes, and you should definitely watch it. I'll send you the link when we're done, and I'll put it up in our notes when we post the podcast out there. Does anybody want to chat about either of the first two stories that we talked about before we move into our big story of the day? Put your hand up if you do, if you want to talk about Fave, if you want to talk about Google's new telepresence project. I don't see any hands going up, so guess what? It is time for... It's time for our big story here on Inside the Creator Economy, Cassie take it away. You know, we're like a week out from Pride. And as somebody who identifies as part of the rainbow community, or as we say in New Zealand, the rainbow fono, this story, it hit me on a few different levels. And I'll tell you why as we go along, but I'll just lay the groundwork for you right now. So transgender will be among more than 350 new tags that Twitch is adding next week. So starting next week at the beginning of Pride Month, The streaming platform Twitch will add more than 350 new community tags to its platform related to gender, sexual orientation, race, nationality, ability, and mental health. The company said this in a blog post that they just recently put out. It's on their website. The list of tags will include things like transgender, black, disabled, veteran, VTuber, And Twitch said it's going to remove the ally references from its LGBTQIA tag in favor of a standalone ally tag, which is really, really cool. The platform thanked its trans community for pushing for a transgender tag and admitted that the simple truth was they should have done it sooner. Twitch reportedly um, resisted adding the transgender tag itself over concerns about targeted harassment. What they said was that when they launched tags in 2018, they did it to boost discovery, to help creators describe their content, and to help viewers find streams that they were interested in. They intentionally designed the system for creators to be able to describe what they were streaming, not who they were or what they stood for. They have maintained the distinction since that time, and they said we were wrong. They've put their hand up to say we were wrong. So Twitch had removed the ability to create custom user-generated communities in 2018 when it introduced tags, but the tag system required choosing from a list of Twitch-provided categories, which didn't include things like this new transgender one, which made it completely uh, difficult. It made it really hard for discovering transgender streamers, transgender content, and all of the other groups that are kind of associated now with the new 350 tags. 
So I read about this yesterday and my heart did a little pitter-pat of happiness. I myself was the chair of the Auckland Pride Board, which is kind of like the equivalent of GLAAD, but for New Zealand, for a year and a half. And I know that our transgender community um, has a really, really hard time not only sharing their stories, but about their stories being taken on board in a kind and respectful way. So I thought this was a really, really nice thing for Twitch to do. And I think it's going to open up a lot of conversations from the other platforms moving forward. You know, for me, I sometimes on Instagram say I try to hashtag the word lesbian or LGBT is fine. But if you want to find a GIF and you put the word gay in, sometimes nothing will come up and you go, how in the world has nobody on the Internet <laughs> created a single GIF for the word lesbian? So for me, this is one of those things. We've been having these conversations at VidCon for how many years, Jim, around discoverability and around hashtags and big platforms like YouTube and Facebook and Instagram and how those platforms mitigate the potential for danger and harassment, but then also allow discoverability. So I thought this was a good thing. What do you think? I think it's great for Twitch to step up and do this. I think it's a step away from the bro culture that they've sort of had for a long time. I mean, you remember at VidCon back in, was it 2016 or 17 when there was this huge row around female gamers and there was just all sorts mm -hmm. of, I mean, just nastiness that's gone on. And I think it's a step in the right direction for Twitch. I wonder, are other platforms limiting the hashtags that you can use in the way that Twitch does? Because I frankly wasn't even aware that this was going on. It shows you how out of touch I am. But I think it's great. But I just wonder, are, are they the only ones that are limiting the hashtags you can put up or others do that as well? I would say simply from the smallest amount of experimentation that I've done with hashtags, specifically around pride and rainbow communities, that there's definitely a narrowing of the kinds of words you can use, the kind of slang that you can use. And a lot of them are around how people self-identify, but those self-identifying words can also be seen to folks who are not within the community as words that could be negative or detrimental. So it feels to me like potentially Twitch has invited people from the communities that they are now including into conversations. And that is something that a lot of big and bigger platforms are doing more and more and probably need to do more of as we move forward. Because if you've got a lack of diversity making these decisions, then it's hard to go. Actually, from my point of view, that's not a negative or a derogatory term. This is how we use it. And this is why it should be a part of your platform. So I would say yes, Jim, there, there are many, many incidents of hashtags being throttled, specifically within the pride and the, the rainbow communities. Well, and as I think about this more, and thanks for bringing this up, it's a great story. And it's great for Twitch to do it. But what happens for the 351st term or the 352nd term that describes a community that may not be one that Twitch identified first or any of these other platforms identified? To your point, how do we make sure that we don't exclude the 352nd or the 353rd or the 400th or the 10,000th community that still feels excluded? That's where my brain went when I was reading this as well, because language, culture, everything is this fluid evolution, regardless of if we're talking about race or gender or sexuality, whatever it is. I looked yesterday and, you know, trending on Twitter in New Zealand was the word yeet. And that's been around since 2014. And I was like, why is yeet trending? Has it changed again? 
<laughs> and it was like, I don't know what's going on. But the, you're right, Jim. I think it's going to be, how is Twitch? How are these platforms setting themselves up for success when it comes to inclusivity by having people working on their platforms who are fully and deeply engaged in culture, in cultural slang, in trends, and in what's going on. Because it might be the 352nd or it might be the 10,000th term, but they're all going to continue to evolve. So as long as there's an openness to that evolution and people there to let it happen, then I think it's going to be okay. Yeah, my other thought is, if you're going to do this, and, and they reference this, they are opening themselves up and they're opening people up that use the hashtags to trolls. And Twitch is not a troll-free mm-hmm. community by any stretch of the imagination. What do you think they need to do or are they doing to protect the community? I actually don't know much about what Twitch does to protect community. I know after the Christchurch shootings in New Zealand, I got a more intimate look at what Google and YouTube were doing to protect communities from violence online. I'm always erring towards there's never going to be enough because trolls and trolling are an almost accepted part of being online these days. In fact, when I started the TV show that I'm on three weeks ago, that was literally what people were writing to me saying, it's going to be okay, just get used to it. Trolls is what happens. You should know that. And I was like, why? Why should trolls be accepted? So I think until we stop accepting trolling as humanity, it's going to it's gonna happen. And as long as these platforms put some checks and balances in there and really care about the safety of communities, then you know we're going to have to deal with them, but we can deal with them with strength. Yeah. And where does the responsibility lie? Does it lie in the platforms? Does it lie in the people that are building on the platform? Does it lie in the the audience and the community? I actually don't have a really good answer, but you are opening yourself up as a platform to, if you want to save space, it just means you need to monitor more. And I hope in addition to opening up the 350 new tags, They also built an intelligent system to watch the tags for potential abuse and that they are continuing to refine that system as it gets rolled out. Because I don't think you can just roll tags out without having a great system to monitor and make sure that people stay safe. I agree completely with you. Yes. I will say, does anybody want to come up and talk about what Twitch is doing to talk about tags, to talk about identity? Really interesting, important story. And I don't see any hands going up. Do you have anything you want to add on to this story? Oh, yeah. Here comes Stephanie. All right. Stephanie, come on up and talk a little bit about this. What do you think? Nice to hear from you and see you. I was saying hello to Jim and Cassie. Hello. It's great to, I guess, whatever see you means. It's great to see you. I hope your show is going well, by the way. It's so exciting. It's fun. And actually, I I just sort of see you because I look at the screen and I watch your little face and the green little bar goes around and it's like, (laughs) it creates a sense of presence that's amazing. Isn't uh, it interesting? It is. It's really cool. Anyway, anyway, let's jump in. Let me know what you think about this I loved, one. I love this conversation because I have been wanting to hear intelligent people have this conversation. I'm not suggesting I've heard dumb people say, I'm just, this is so interesting because I saw what Twitch did and I thought I had exactly the same reaction, which is if you miss an identified category, if you miss like how do you, it, it's so fascinating how people are so sort of almost predisposed in this world to feel defensive and angry as a first out of the gate versus that sense of patience and understanding. And I suppose some of that is just because of the sort of like what we're experiencing right now in the world and people, and, and certainly there are many people who have every right and it's understandable that they come out of the gate defensive versus more curious or wondering. But Cassie, I heard you say that you think this is a good thing. Of course, I think it's a fantastic thing, but you talked about this a little bit, but I am curious is that Cassie, was your take kind of as long as Twitch has 
sort of a division of or resources dedicated towards sort of that listening that, and if that listening turns into responsiveness, because you know how sometimes some categories get tricky, like what mm. if there's, and I don't want to say category, I don't know, I'm not, if I use any terms right now that come off as offensive to anybody, forgive me in advance, trust me, my heart is pure. I just, I may not say things perfectly, but if there is- None of us do. <laughs> right, right. But if there's an identified category of people that identify a certain way, but something within that is potentially part of it is harmful or part of it could be perceived as harmful. It gets tricky. Hmm. And I, I think it do, depends on how sense? we perceive. Yeah, 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 totally. And I think it's how it's the conversations that the platforms need to have. And it's this continuous feedback loop, right? Between yeah. the platforms, yeah. the listening, the code, and then most importantly, the humans, the yeah. community that go, we need this. We need this for so many more reasons than the fear of reprisal or the fear yeah. of being trolled. We need the visibility. We need to be able to use the words that describe us. Mm -hmm. Like the word mm -hmm. transgender, the fact that you couldn't hashtag that, you that's couldn't right. tag that. Yep. What that's the right. actual fiddle? Like, yeah, that's right. I, that's right. That's right. That blows my brain that you couldn't put black. But what does that tell, you know, black streamers on Twitch? Of course. Um, that it's too dangerous for them to yeah. have their identity. Mm -hmm. So I think that the peeling back of the layers is very important. And Jim mentioned it earlier, too, in that there is an onus on the community and on society as well, not just the platforms and the tech to jump in and self-police as well. Good point. So I think we can look at the tech and we can look at how we believe, even with our own inherent biases, how we believe mm -hmm. it should be policed. But first and foremost, I think it's a win for visibility Definitely. and especially going into Pride Month. Visibility yeah. now more than ever is powerful. It is awesome. the most powerful thing we've got. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, it's a great discussion. Thank you both. And Cassie, continued good luck with your show. I look forward to hearing more about it. I'm so excited for you. <laughs> Thank you. Awesome. Thanks, guys. I really appreciate it. No problem, Stephanie. Thank you for joining us. And yeah, awesome topic. Anything more you want to add on it, Cassie, before we move on? No, I just, you know, that you can tell I got a little bit passionate about that one as we head into a full month of, it'll be interesting to see how creators start utilizing Twitch and these tags. It'll be interesting to see how brands start to work in with creators. I'm already starting to see some backlash against, you know, collabs and collections. So it's an ongoing conversation around identity and, you know, that again, that line, where's the line between what we create and the conversations we put out into the world and then how we monetize them. I think it's fascinating. Yeah, I agree with you. And we'll stay on top of this story. I'll keep monitoring it and I will too. And hopefully in a couple of weeks, we'll come back and get a sense of how Twitch is responding to it, how the community is responding to it and any changes they might make to make it better or to react to how it develops. So super interesting. With that reminder, you were listening to Inside the Creator Economy with Cassie Roma and Jim Lauterbach. This is the moment that we move from deep dive into a particular story every week into a quick hit on four different stories where we'll just talk about each one and really quickly give our take on it and we'll go back and forth. So it is time for our news segment. And Cassie, I think the first story is yours. Oh, that was a flirty little intro. Thank you, Jim. This one is 
hot off the presses, like literally two hours old. And it is a collaboration between Nordstrom, so we all know and love Nordies, and a smaller brand called Wildfang. And again, Pride Month, so I'm going hard out on waving the rainbow flag right now. So Wildfang is a female-owned, queer-owned clothing shop, small out of Portland. Um, they've got a shop in New York and another in L.A., and they have created a collection that has literally just dropped that is specifically built around Black, Latinx, and queer communities. And the thing that I love about this, Jim, is that Wild Fang over the years, through their leadership, their CEO, Emma McElroy, amazing woman, they have built up their brand through community, through being creators, and through the economy of content. And they are now joining forces with this big conglomerate, beautiful Nordstrom's. And I just, for me today, it hit me right in the feels because these two brands are almost at disparate ends, meaning Nordstrom's is, is Nordstrom's and Wild Fang is this brand built on politics and content and creators and helping people politically have voices. And it just feels like the warmest, warmest little hug leading into next week. I think it's great. Nordstrom, for those of you who don't know, is all over the U.S. I don't know if they're international, but they are definitely an upscale department store. They're leaders out there and they have been for a long time, but they don't make moves like this without a lot of study and a lot of understanding of what's going on in the world. So not only is this great for Nordstrom and Wild Fang, but I think it's also an indication of just how far we've come as a society in the United States that we can do this and roll this out really around the country. Yeah, it's awesome. So I think this is a great, and I, I know you put it up on Instagram and showed off an Instagram link, which I think is great, but it is really neat that this is happening across the board. Next story. <laughs> this also involves a really big brand, but this one is Gucci. Gucci is coming to Roblox, and I find this to be a crazy little story because think about it. Gucci is luxury brand for women with money and maybe guys with money, too. I don't know. I don't spend a lot of time in Gucci myself. But Gucci coming to Roblox. Roblox is the place where tweens, mostly guys, although it's more girls and guys now, go to play games, whether it's Minecraft or other things. And the fact that Gucci's doing this like two week pop up in Roblox to me is just fascinating. So I find Roblox expanding out its place in the metaverse and welcoming people like Gucci there is actually a really interesting take on a how Roblox has expanded, how its adoption is spreading older and maybe even younger, but also how Gucci maybe is coming a little bit of hip. So I don't know. What do you think, Cassie? Yeah, Gucci and hip. I mean. <laughs> okay, nobody said that I mean, in the same, <laughs> the same sentence before. There's always a first here. I mean. I'm here for all of the firsts, Jim. It's great. I think it's quite cool. I love that there's this super high-end, super almost discordant brand coming into Roblox. Like I think of Roblox and I can think of my one of my best friends, little six-year-old boys. He just, he's in there all the time. He loves it. And I don't think he'd see Gucci and understand a thing what's going on. But I think it's a fascinating look into, like you said, the metaverse and how brands and different I always think of like sandpaper, right? When you rub sandpaper together and it feels weird, but it's also quite cool because it smooths things out. This feels like a, a fun little sandpaper moment as we move into the future. I love it. A fun little sandpaper moment. And let's guess, what's the next brand that's going to go up on Roblox? Oh, I don't know, maybe um, Levi's? No, that's too normal. Come up with a really weird brand that would go up on Roblox next. Maybe we should start some sort of a, a Roblox pool. Tesla. 
Tesla. Okay, drive your Tesla around your Roblox world. And more Minecraft, but I like that yeah. one. All right, we're looking at you, Tesla. <laughs> your story. My story, it sounds like our stories are similar. We talk about Twitter and how they're trying to um, monetize and figure out how to get people making money every week. And this week, Twitter continues to ramp up its creator monetization focus with the addition of a new option that's going to enable users to create ticketed spaces events. I kind of like this, Jim. Now, last week, I kind of poo-pooed the idea of getting people to pay to listen to, you know, just to listen with the tip jar. But I like the idea of having events that people can go to uh, at a certain time and to have them ticketed. It feels just a bit more VIP. And maybe it's the geriatric millennial, I think we're (laughs) called now in me, the older 39-year-old, almost 40, who really likes this. I think the ticketed spaces is quite cool. I don't know. Kind of just feels good. By the way, just as an aside for everybody listening, I crushed Cassie's world when I passed on the new term geriatric millennial to her for older millennials who are, you know, (laughs) it's funny to see the culture war between Gen Z and millennials happen. Me sitting here as a, you know, very tail end boomer. I just have to laugh. But with that said, geriatric, geriatric millennial. I know it's not my term. It's not my term. It's their term. Go talk to those Gen Zers. Take it out on them. This topic is something that is even broader than Twitter because Zoom, Discord, Spotify, and Facebook all want to sell tickets to live events on their platform. And I think it's partly in response to Clubhouse, and I'll bet Clubhouse comes up with their own ticketing at some point. But I will tell you, as somebody who runs live events, both virtually and face-to-face, it's not easy to sell tickets. And once you get into selling tickets, there's all kinds of other things like delivery and what do you get for it and refunds and Free is free. Drop in and drop out of free, just like people drop in and drop out here. But once you start charging tickets, you better up your game. That's all I got to say on this one. That's right. 100%. Yep. So you got to up your game. Okay. Last story here of the day is a new app or a new thing I ran into called Poised, more of a service app. But so Poised is a tool. So when you're sitting on Zoom, when you're on a Zoom call, you run Poised and Poised sits in the background and gives you tips on how to be a better communicator while you're in your Zoom calls. Nobody else can see it but you. But as you're sitting there going on and on about whatever you're going on and on about in a meeting, it says, oh, you're getting boring. You better shut it down. Or that might not be a good word to use. Or maybe you don't want to say it that particular way or something else, which I don't know. Two, I got two sides of this. First of all is I think it's nice to have a little help and it's good to get communication help because not everybody is really good at presenting in video or on there like that. The other side of this, though, is how long until this gets into our social video platform. So you're doing your fireside podcast and all of a sudden a little note comes on that's just for you and it's Fallon's face and she says, oh, you're boring. Can you move to the next section? Or maybe you're on Zoom or maybe maybe you're on Twitter or maybe you're on TikTok and it's like, cut your video off. You don't need the full 60 seconds. That kind of scares me. I can't think of anything worse. There's nothing that I would be more poised to not do, Jim, than use this because as to what we just said about lifting our game for ticketed events, I think anytime we engage somebody else, whether it's on a Zoom call, it's on our fireside here, whether it's face-to-face, we should be prepared. We should know what we're doing. And if they're falling asleep, we shouldn't need a tool to tell us. I don't know, Cassie. I agree with you. But I have been on way too many Zoom calls and way too many people are just not prepared for life. So 
I agree. In a perfect world, everybody would be prepared and they would be succinct and we could get through our Zoom calls in 10 minutes so I could have more coffee. We all know that's not going to happen in the world, but I'm not sure I need a little thing. I'm going to call it clippy sitting over my shoulder telling me I'm boring. No, it feels like lipstick on the proverbial. I just, I don't know. You'd really have to convince me on this one. I agree. That's it. I have a little uh, clippy on my shoulder telling me we're done. Uh, (laughs) That's it for the Inside the Creator Economy for this week. Spread the word. Make sure you tell all your friends we're here every week at 4 p.m. Pacific Monday, and we will be back next Monday with more fun stories and everything else. I know I should be teasing next week, but I really got nothing to say about next week, so I'm just going to say goodbye, Cassie. Goodbye, Jim. And we'll see you next week. And that's our sad outro because we're leaving you now. But we'll be back next week. Mm-hmm.